Good, e Good evening, everyone. Welcome to our Human Resources Committee for Alameda Health Systems. It is April 19th, 2023, and we'll start off with roll call. Thank you, Chair Chapman. Trustee Bouquet? Here. Trustee Chapman? Here. Trustee Banerjee? Here. Trustee Steen is excused. You have a quorum. Thank you. Um, do we have any public comment tonight? We do not. No. All right. Our first item on the agenda is um, approval of minutes for Jan from January 13, 2023. I move that we approve. Second. There's been a motion and a second. Trustee Bouquet? Aye. Trustee Banerjee? Aye. Trustee Chapman? Aye. The motion carries. Thank you. Information discussion number B, HR dashboard. Linda Velasquez. Linda, are you there? Where are you? I'm, I'm here. Oh, there you go. Hi. I, I saw you a minute ago and then it blinked, blinked off. It disappeared on us. Hi, oh, how are you this evening? I'm doing fine. Thank you. It's Wednesday, right? So yes. <laughs> two days closer to the weekend. That's exactly right. <laughs> so it's on the you for the HR dashboard. Okay. And that's going to be brought up. Let's see, where's Karen? Hold on. Are we bringing up our dashboard? Is that correct? Um, yes, it says information discussion, okay. HR dashboard. So. Thank you. Give us a moment. Karen, we've had a long day with um, the uh, Joint Commission survey, so please bear with us. No problem. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, Karen, can you hear us? Yes, yes, hang on one second. All right, thank you. Sorry, I was getting it up. <clears throat> share your screen. I want to share this screen. And now I want to do slideshow. How about that? Okay, thank you very much. We'll start with the HR dashboard. Um, our time to fill reduced by about 27%. Uh, um, this is a good trend. Uh, we're only 13 days from hitting the target. Uh, the labor market is still uncertain. I'm really uh, taking a close eye watching that, uh, but it's still changing. Um, I wanna note that uh, looking at our rural hospitals are struggling in the state of California. Madero Community Hospital uh, closed, and Hazel Hawkins in Hollister is running out of cash. And so um, I'm, I'm really keeping a close eye on this. I know that there is uh, bills uh, at the legislative um, level in California to hopefully create an emergency fund uh, to prevent these closures. But if they do close, um, we do plan to see if we can source talent um, into our uh, organization. Uh, the time to onboard also decreased by 13.07 days, which brings us closer to the target of 19 days. Uh, monitoring the coordinator workflow and developing metrics uh, is part of our process improvement at this time. 
And with the addition of our new manager, Justin Lewis, he has been very instrumental in overseeing the onboarding process and making improvement. Are there any questions on these uh, two uh, metrics? The improvements have been pretty significant yeah. last quarter to yeah. this. Yeah. Yes. Good, good, good change. Great yeah. job on that. Yeah, it really helps not to have five jobs. It really helps to have Justin on board. <laughs> so thank you very much, Justin, for all of your good work so far. Okay. Uh, the next is uh, the residents of Alameda County. Um, these uh, metrics uh, are holding steady. Um, there is really not much uh, material difference in the numbers. As you can see here, we had a slight uptick uh, for the new hire metric. 64% uh, 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 live within the Alameda County or Contra Costa County. So that, that's good. Any questions on this metric? Questions? No. No. Okay. And now I'm going to turn it over to Gray uh, to talk about the workers' compensation metrics. Good evening. Good evening. It's been a while since I've been here. Good to see you all. The first metric is workers' comp loss days, which fell slightly over the most recent quarter. Uh, we're still needing to get a bit lower because we're targeting 3.4 as an average. And so despite productive hours increasing over this past quarter, loss days did fall a bit. And I'd, I'd like to think that that's an indicator of how productive we've been with getting people back to work in our modified duty program that, that tends to lessen the lost days for that particular metric and myself and our workers comp coordinator have been working hard on that so I, any questions about that particular metric hi this is uh, trusted we can have a question at our at our last meeting i asked the question where does our organization uh, sit in the context of other similar size organizations for the number of workers' comp injuries? Are we like right in the zone for other similar size organizations? Are we more, are we less? It's a good question because it, I've asked my broker contact that question a few times and it's since we're a bit unique as a public hospital, it's, it's a difficult to find a, a, a good, comparison to benchmark us against. Uh, so we typically are benchmarking against ourselves. Uh, I'm more than willing to go back out to our broker to try to get a sense of other like entities that we want to benchmark against. But I, to date, I have not found someone as unique as us. Yeah. Well, you know, there are 21 other, uh, we're one of 21 public health systems, so San Francisco General, Santa Clara Valley uh, might, might be a similar something. So, you know, we're a $1.4 billion organization. So uh, just trying to contextualize where we yeah. sit. Otherwise, yeah. this number just sort of sits in a, in a it's That's just a number. Like, and yeah. for us, really. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that would be nice to have that information if we could. Okay, I could certainly bring that back next time. Tracy Bouquet, sir. When we're doing our annual um, insurance uh, re-ups, yeah. our, our broker would point out, hey, you're really bad here, or you're really great here. Yeah. And I don't think they haven't pointed out workers' comp as a place that we're 
in an outlier position, okay. but we can get you better information. Thank you. That. Just just to con just context. Absolutely. Yeah. Context is all everything. Not a problem. We can we can get that for you. So the, the next metric is just number of workers' comp injuries, which did have a significant increase over this past quarter from 75 to 92. When I looked, did a deeper dive on the data for this past quarter, there was no real trend other than the that 13 of the 92 injuries were related to patient handling. And we're in the midst of piloting a safe patient handling program with Alameda Hospital. We're in the really the forming stages at this point because it's an important program that we'd like to roll out across the, the enterprise because it, it hasn't really been aggressively put in place as of yet. And uh, we'd like to pilot it first at Alameda Hospital. Alameda Hospital is a good place to start because they do have a significant amount of injuries, but they're smaller. They also have a, a very excellent nursing management team there that is really uh, interested in and, and wanting to start a pilot at that at that particular location. And we've started, uh, we're in the midst of doing inventory on all the different lifting equipment at the moment. They had 15 of the 92 injuries over this past quarter, so roughly 16%. But it's a very significant program and I'm really excited about getting it up and running and, and uh, getting that pilot going. But any other questions at this point? Um, just a question for you regarding the equipment being used. You said 13 of the 92 are patient handling. Are we trying to look at equipment that would actually assist some of our CNAs or LVNs or RNs in, in handling the patients? Right. So to get the program up and running, we do really need to take an inventory of what we do have. So we, we do have some Hoyer lifts and... Uh, several different pieces of equipment that we need to see if it's in working order for starters and see what the need is. Uh, we're in the midst of taking that inventory as we speak. Mark, you had a question. Yeah, um, I'll wait if, if it's okay with Trustee Chapman. Um, just a couple comments. Yes, please. Um, Number one, I, I was involved in some research earlier in my career around um, manual lifts that nursing use. And when nursing lifts are embedded above the bed in the ceiling, nurses will utilize them 100% of the time. It was like 99.8% of the time. When they have to go find manual lifts, they're used 25% of the time. Um, and so it's really key that, and, and, and Ro and I have discussed this, that manual lifts are kept within close proximity, if not in the patient's room in which the lift is needed. Um, item number two, by way of the monthly operating reports that were, reviews that we're doing, we're piloting something in San Leandro where we escalate employee injuries in real time and we sit down with the employee and the leader and no matter the time of day, even if it's 2 a.m., and we talk through, you know, what happened, what could we do to prevent it, 
um, where do you think you should go for treatment, urgent care or um, RED or just home? Um, it's an attempt to educate in real time if we can, to care in real time. And um, organizations that have done this have seen significant drops in their employee injuries. And so we're looking to see, we're piloting for three months, we're in month number one right now, but if it does work at San Leandro, it's something we can scale across the organization. Great, thank you. Art alert, ER, ETA. Thanks for that, Mark. I forgot, forgot about the San Leandro program. I appreciate that. Trustee Banerjee has a question. Yeah, oh, so that's what I was asking. Is there like cross pollination that uh, Alameda, like the HR department, is thinking of doing a pilot in Alameda Hospital and something is like the kind of learning that's happening in San Leandro or in real time that's happening? those with that many injuries in Alameda Hospital, has there been like cross-pollination of that and some like the pilots are uh, are coordinating or they are from different? Yeah, the, the, no, um, the intent is to pilot first at San Leandro. And if the results, if we follow what we say we're going to implement and the results are good, we'll standardize that same, standardize and scale that approach across all of our facilities. Thank so you. then where does the Alameda um, hospital pilot fall in? Is that happening side by side? That, so that is the, I think, Greg, that is the patient lift. Okay. That, correct. That's a different initiative. I see. Right. That's correct, Mark. And then the idea is the same, that we're going to pilot the safe patient handling program at Alameda with the goal of rolling it out across the organization. All right, thank you for that clarification, thanks. Sure. <clears throat> Any other workers' comp related questions? No, thank you. You're welcome. Lynn, you're on mute. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Karen. Do you want to talk about the uh, turnover results for the organization? Sure. Uh, so the top part of the screen is our system turnover, and it has gone up. Uh, we had approximately 30 more terminations in the quarter than we did the previous quarter. Um, our first year turnover and our second year turnover both went up. Um, our goal was changed this fiscal year to 17%. So we are under uh, the goal uh, for system turnover, but we are still uh, watching our first and second year turnover because they, they are higher than they've been. Um, and the bottom half of the screen is about nursing. And so the nursing turnover has gone up as well. Uh, we have about 20 more terminations this uh, quarter. Um, our first and second year turnover is extremely high in nursing. Uh, we hit 37. These are annualized numbers, which means we take the quarterly number and we multiply it by four to get an, an average for the quarter. Um, so we're looking at an annualized amount of 37% and 45%. So these are uh, expensive issues. Um, we have uh, the top reasons for terminations are over here or for people leaving. 
So we have a lot of people retiring or resigning, I mean, um, and HR compliance. Um, we have been terminating people for not following uh, compliance issues. And we have retirements and failing probation. So those are um, reasons that we are seeing uh, people leaving. Anybody have any questions? No, I wish there was a, a way that we could actually, when people come in, you know, we could have them commit uh, yes. similar to, to the way the teachers do when they have to tenure, right? They commit to a couple of years. Yeah. Um, but that's an, it's yeah. unfortunate because it's not only is it a turnover, but it's a constant training mm -hmm. ground. And I find that in a, a healthcare services agency where I am as well, is that we bring folks in and we train them and then they leave and they go somewhere else. So it's um, unfortunate that we're in a cycle like that. Right, well, we have the yes. at-will provision. So either party can terminate the employment relationship at any time uh, under the California regulations. And maybe Lorna can speak more to this, uh, but I do agree with you that um, I think we're treated like a boot camp per se, and then they go off to Sutter Health or Stanford or uh, Kaiser Permanente. It used to be when I was at Kaiser that we that Kaiser used to be the boot camp, and mm -hmm. then they would leave and go to the other health systems. But um, yeah, that that is a problem. I don't know how to mitigate that. But in the first and second year, I think it's really incumbent uh, to have a good. I think relationship with the uh, with the nursing staff that come on board. Um, and we talked about having a buddy system early on with this retention strategy. The other thing I think we need to look at going into bargaining, of course, and this is in Lorna's area, uh, I think this was highlighted recently, is, is the wages. But of course, that is around negotiations, right? Around the wages and uh, working conditions and benefits. Yes, um, Mark, I see your hand. I'm going to go to James yeah. first and then to you. James, go ahead. Beat you to the punch, Fratsky. Sorry. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I was inspired by what you just said. I was curious, and Lorna will, I'm sure, have some thoughts on this, but I wonder if we could begin the process of looking at retention. If we could create a program, and obviously we'd have to talk to the unions, but if we could you know, give people something, if they stay for a set period of time, that would be one way to really stop being that, that boot camp that's and to get people idea. to stick around. It could be. I mean, yeah. And that's a great idea. And are just going through all the onboarding and then having to start for the process. Pay, all of them. You know, mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Mark, go ahead, please. This is just a comment about the data and maybe a slight nuance. And I'm wondering if it would make sense, instead of annualizing every quarter, to have that percentage be a cumulative percentage um, for the year, that way we'd be able to understand how we're how close we are to the actual benchmark um, on a on a cumulative basis versus an annualized basis. Hmm. What do you think, Karen? Can can we change that and pivot to something yeah. like that without? Yeah, we do that on the monthly. Uh, turnover reports that we give to yeah. quality for the True North metrics. Mm -hmm. um, we have the monthly turnover percentages. We also annualize it on our worksheets, but then in addition, we do fiscal year to date turnover percentages. So we could do that. Yeah, that would be nice to see as well. Thank you. Would you like to see that in addition to, or have it changed out uh, as how Mark described? 
Um, so for the next report, I would say in addition to just so we can see the difference. Okay. And then it, from that point forward, we may decide one or the other. Okay. Thank you. Uh, I see a hand raised. Was that Marilyn? Yes. Yes. Hi, Marilyn. Go ahead. Hi. Lynn, I was just going to ask, I see the HR non-compliance, the um, 10 terminations there. Was yes. that specifically around um, non-compliance with competencies and those type of regulatory training requirements? I, I believe so, yes. Yeah. Um, and actually in the system, there was 37. This is just nursing down here. So 10 of oh, them wow. were nursing, but we had 37 uh, termed for non-compliance. And that makes up the doing the annual competencies, um, you know, doing the, the LMS required lessons. It also involves people that didn't keep their licenses up to date. Um, and also it could be anybody, um, for instance, flu or TB, um, all of those kinds of separations get coded as HR noncompliance, those kinds of events. And I wish there was a way to mitigate that because we are losing our return on investment when we onboard and we do all of these things to bring people into the organization. I think the average uh, loss is around anywhere from 50 upwards to $90,000, right? Uh, per each employee, depending on their classification, Marilyn. I wish there was a way to mitigate this. Well, maybe as we partner on some of the education things that will, we might be able to look at this area. Okay. And work together on that. That would be good. Thank you. Sure. Any more questions on that? Thank you, Marilyn. Any more questions? I was, I had a comment. I was thinking, James, yes. your idea of like, for retention will more than make up the registry we have to get, right? Like in at the cost okay. of that, like 350% over that. Yeah. That we could make the, the analysis and it would pencil out. So, yeah, I'll, I'll follow up. Lynn Lorna has a presentation, but I will follow up with her after this. Thank, Thank you. you. Uh, next up is our uh, exit interview dashboard that we just completed. I want to give thanks to our um, teammates over in the business intelligence group. Uh, they helped us bring this to fruition. So you're getting a snapshot of this. Karen, can you take us through this? Thank you. Um, yeah, so this is the uh, exit interview dashboard. Uh, this is from data coming from the Work Institute. Um, I will say that this is the number of uh, interviews that were conducted. Um, and if I just go back for one second to the turnover, you know, we had uh, 184 terminations, and then we have 51 people that responded. So we don't have a full, you know, we, not everybody's answering the exit interview call. Um, but we do have the 51 that happened this quarter. Um, and the average years of service is five years for those ter separations. Uh, and this section right here is about uh, the reasons for leaving. And this is pretty crazy. This uh, giant blue section here is for work-life balance. So um, 13 of our 51 uh, people uh, indicated work-life balance. Um, it's the reason that they left. Um, we also have career development, uh, leaving for other jobs, uh, issues with management, retirement, and the environment of the organization. And then we have a group that were involuntarily separated. So that's this section. Uh, down here is the rating of the organization. Uh, and if you look at, you know, excellent, good, and very good, that's uh, almost more than 50% of the 
of the group. So that's a, that's a good organizational rating. Um, and down on this side, we have the, how employees rate their jobs. So most of them really are happy with their jobs uh, and they rate their job well. Um, this dashboard is going to be launched in May to our leaders. Uh, and um, there's a, two versions of it. One is confidential and one is um, going to be open to all the leaders. And the confidential version, if you click right here on like this part of the graph, it will open up additional information about what the employees actually said. It has their comments uh, and information of what, what they provided. And we don't want to open that up to all leaders uh, because some of the exit interviews actually call out leaders' names and it says, Karen Skillman was mean to me today. Um, mm -hmm. And so we don't want all the other leaders to see all of that. So our plan is to have the confidential versions available to the HR business partners and labor relations uh, and then they can work with leaders to actually go get the actual comments that were made uh, by employees if, if a manager needs that or would like to see that. Um, so the confidential version will be only available with, with help from HR uh, and the non-confidential version, which is more like this, just kind of giving uh, set data that you can just kind of see the percentages and the reasons. And then the actual dashboard has these filters down the left. So you can just look at it for Alameda Hospital or Highland Hospital, um, or you could look for it in, in, in HR. Um, so these are the SBUs, or you can just look for it a single department, a single union. So this, like I said, will be launched to leaders in May, um, but it's our newest dashboard. Are there any questions? No, that's great. Thank you. What's the yeah. SBU PROV? I can see acute ambulatory behavior. This one is provider delivery. So uh, several years ago, we changed from divisions to strategic business units. Uh, and so we have all of our employees in different business units. And in while, I don't know, maybe the organization has kind of faded away from that a little bit, we are still using it because it allows us to group um, departments together. And so like I could pick the SBU for HR and it goes and grabs all the HR departments. I could pull the SBU for ambulatory and it pulls all the ambulatory cost centers instead of having to go through and finding them all. So it does group um, sort of like divisions. Um, so the PROV was provider delivery. So it's all the physicians uh, and the people backing up the providers. Thank you, Karen. Yep. Any other questions? Thank you, Karen. Uh, our next dashboard is our turnover dashboard. Again, this is for the quarter. Um, so we have our terminations. We have just about, you know, almost the same number of new hires as we have ter terms. Um, so that is something we need to work on. I see that. We yeah, like a little bit of a churn going on here. And then we have our first year, second year, and then everybody who's made it longer than two years uh, is represented here. Um, and this is just a bar graph. The green is our new hires and the blue is our separations. Um, and that's a pretty big bounce right there, huh? Um, watching that new hire. Uh, and this is the same information. It's just in a chart and it's, look, you can go into the dashboard and pick, you know, look at it by department and see. Um, this is the number of terminations that we had and this is our employee count. So we calculate turnover by number of terminations over the headcount, the beginning headcount. Uh, and so right now, because this is a three month time period, um, it is calculating at 3.66% and the actual goal is 4.25 for a quarter. So we are under, 
Um, and depending on what amount of time you select here, the goal and the actual percentage will change. And if it goes over the, the goal, it will turn red. So this is kind of a cool dashboard. Um, and there's also other tabs associated with this dashboard. So you can also go look at just nursing turnover. This page is just the system-wide terminations, but there's, there's also um, nursing and you can see it there. You can see terminations by department. So there's a lot of different tabs in this dashboard that you can look at data a little bit different. Again, we have our, um, our filters down the side so you can adjust to just see Highland Hospital um, and, and then the data will change for that. And the plan is to use these two dashboards um, interchangeably. The turnover dashboard and the exit interview uh, dashboard uh, can be helped to uh, look at maybe the um, highest uh, percentage of turnover in a department and then use the exit interview um, uh, information uh, to help create strategies uh, with that departmental manager uh, along with their HR business partner uh, to mitigate uh, this and reduce the turnover in their department. So that that is the hope. That's great, thank you. And this is our third dashboard. Oh, sorry, go ahead, please. Pardon me, sorry. In a turnover, do we, we stratify by race, age, any other like, um, disability status or anything else that gives us, uh, you know, soji to understand like who, if there's any other factors that are impacting? Um, I don't know if I can answer that. Uh, we, we don't really look at just, did you say like by disability? Yeah, by, yeah, by race, ethnicity, language. Oh. Demographics, so yeah, different demographics. Yeah, demographic. Yes, uh, we haven't built that into the dashboard as yet. Uh, yeah. Trustee Banerjee, I think that would be the second reiteration. Uh, yeah. This was um, our first, um, um, uh, I think, demographics to look at uh, HR turnover and also the um, exit interview. I don't think they collect that though. Okay. Institute in terms of the, um, you know, the the ethnicity, race, et cetera, when they do their exit interviews. Got it. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. Thank you. 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 Thank do that work. I think it would be very interesting to sort it in the way yeah, that you suggested. Sure. So, so if we could just look into that, I would I would appreciate that. Thank you very much, Trustee Banerjee. I think that's a great idea. Laura. Can I just say that's a great idea. I think part of our um, difficulties is that we would have to build a custom link between probably this and our Lawson system that holds the demographic information. Um, mm -hmm. So it's something we can look at, but it's not something like if we had an ERP system, like if we had an SAP or, um, a, or like calling. a web-based platform ERP plan, we would be able to do that. But right now we don't, it's standalone. So most of our systems within HR are standalone, but that's something we definitely can work on in the future. Right. And, you know, the, the demographic information is voluntary. So not all employees will give, you know, the demographics. On a voluntary basis. Understood. I just want to, you know, um, let you know that. 
but we can work with Work Institute to see if they can build that in at some point in time in terms of their exit interview. Uh, we also have the diversity dashboard. Um, and I don't know if we can pull that in, but here's our HR diversity dashboard. This is our first one that we actually built and drills down into the department. So even though it's not a, a perfect um, uh, in, in terms of drilling down to the, um, uh, drilling down like you would like, we do have this and we can actually look at a department's diversity, look at their turnover and then look at their exit interview data. Nice. That's actually nice. That's good information. And it's, this is the first one, right? Yeah, this is the first yeah. one and it's available to anyone to look at. And this one is um, also, there's many tabs on it as well. And so this is just the one by age groups because I kind of like it. Um, but it does tell us the uh, number of employee, total employees. Again, you set a date and then it adjusts. And so this is the total employees, the female and male populations. And then down here with the colors, um, these are the different um, age groups. And then we have the ethnicities here. Um, and this is just percentages versus actual employee counts. Um, and I can't do it right here, but you could, you know, select by age group. And I do find it interesting when I select, I can't do it because this is a print screen, but the 60 to a 60 and above, there's a, a very large percentage of our employees are um, in that age, those two age groups. And I believe that that's sometimes why we're seeing such high retirement numbers is we have a, a lot of employees that are above age 60. Yes, thank you for this. This is good information, yeah. Yeah, and I do just want to correct um, something that was said. Um, we do send ethnicity information to the um, Work Institute in our data files. Um, so they do have that data element. We just need to use that to add to our turnover dashboard um, the diversity information. So we would we we did talk about it initially, uh, but we wanted to go ahead and launch the turnover dashboard and have it, the ethnicity or the ages and all that be um, part of a sort of a second phase. So we need to go back, but but we do have the information from Lost and it is going to the Work Institute in our files and we can report off of it. Well, is that for the exit interview and not the turnover, right? For the exit interview and we also have it for turnover. Okay. Because I mean, right. turnover is pulling directly out of our system, Lawson. Exit interview is pulling from a data file that we're sending to the exit interview company. And I am like, I, I do know that the ethnicity information is in there. We just have to now add it to our dashboards. Okay, okay. thank you. Mm -hmm. Great, thank you. Any more questions? Okay, that's it for the dashboard portion. This is now Justin. Okay, Justin, take it away. Good evening, everybody. Uh, it's good to oh. see everyone and hope you're having a great week. Um, just wanted to give you kind of a lay of the land of what's happening in recruiting. Um, Karen, if you could jump to the next slide. So um, here's a snapshot here of uh, the hiring environment that we're dealing with, particularly with regards to registered nurses. And just wanted to give you an idea. I pulled the stat from the Bureau of Health Workforce, and this is the registered nurse shortages of organized by state that's projected by 2030. So you can see the difference between both supply and demand. Uh, on the left side, uh, the um, states, the top 15 states with the deficits, California being number one, uh, by 2030, we're projected to have, uh, being a deficit of 44,500 uh, registered nurses. 
And then on the right side um, is the least. So the states that are operating, uh, projected to operate at a surplus uh, by 2030, we're looking at, if you look at Florida, number one, a surplus of 53,700, right? So a very competitive, very tight uh, hiring environment when it comes to RNs. Um, any questions? No, no questions. I don't see anyone. Karen, can I have the uh, next slide? Oh, Perfect. And then. Can I have a comment on that? I'm sorry, Justin. Oh, yes, go ahead. Yeah, I was saying, did Karen have a comment? You mentioned Karen. Oh, he was telling me to move the slides. Oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thanks, Karen. Uh, appreciate you doing that. And also, <laughs> wanted to give you an idea of the hiring environment when it comes to physicians. Uh, and this is projected as of 2025, not too far away. Uh, the AMC predicts a shortage, 34 to 88,000 physicians by 2025. And then in 2030, that increases pretty dramatically. So if we look at 6,200 hospitals across the United States, by the year 2025, on the very low end of the projection, we're looking at a deficit of uh, about five and a half physicians per hospital, and on the high end, 14. And then by 2030, the low end looking at about a deficit of six and a half and the high end about 17 per hospital. So again, a very tight, very competitive hiring environment. Um, any, any questions here? No, I don't see any. All right, thanks, Karen. Um, so hiring strategy, uh, what are we gonna do to mitigate this? Uh, we have additional staff that we're bringing in. So we do have a nurse recruiter that's focused solely on uh, nursing recruitment and uh, her projected start date is soon, May 1st. So being able to source candidates, um, uh, conduct the interviews, offer negotiation and being in person to source candidates. Um, secondly, we've also in, are enlisting an agency resource. So Incredible Health, which is a nurse staffing agency. We're in the very, very final contract review. Uh, so we're excited about that. Um, and then lastly, this is something that's been missing uh, recently because of the pandemic, obviously we have not had an in-person presence when it comes to recruiting conferences. So just here's an idea of some that are on our radar right now, that we have a team headed out to Philadelphia in May uh, for the American Association of CC Nurses. And then later this year in, in uh, September, we we're sending a team of recruiters out, set up a booth um, and source candidates um, in Las Vegas and San Diego for med surge and for emergency nurses. So really excited to get that going. Any questions? I think a CEO suggestion could be added to this, the hiring strategy. I'm sorry, what was that? I, our CEO suggestion made a little while ago is one of our hiring strategy might could be added to that. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Karen. So for physicians, our approach here to mitigate the challenge here, we have brought on board additional staff. Uh, Maritza Zamora, who's actually been with Alameda Health System for a number of years, she's pivoted into a different role. Uh, she's now going to be working as a physician experience administrator, which is really to help and streamline the onboarding uh, when it comes to hiring physicians. Secondly, we've also brought on board uh, just a couple weeks ago, Dante Segura. He's our uh, new physician recruiter. Um, he comes from Sutter and has a wealth of experience there. Previously, uh, we've only had one physician recruiter in this place. So Madeline Batista has been doing 
uh, the interviewing, the sourcing, offer negotiations, all the operations, handling contracts. She was really a one woman show. So having these additional resources is gonna be a huge help. Uh, the additional resources we've also brought on board is that um, excited to announce that, you know, Lynn started this negotiation. We are bringing on board a new corporate relocation vendor. So anytime we're bringing in employees, new hires from out of state, we can now offer them a service that can help them with um, finding rentals, uh, finding homes to purchase, all the moving that goes along with it, even pet relocation or classic automobiles. Uh, previously, we did not have that. So anytime there's a new hire that accepts an offer, they will be assigned an account rep that can help guide them through the relocation process. Um, secondly, we're also looking at Doximity, which I'm sure many of you have heard of. Um, that is a healthcare sourcing network where we can go in there and look for candidates and source candidates. Um, just a new, uh, fresh way of doing that. Okay. And then um, additionally, we do have some um, in-person recruiting conferences that we are set up to attend our booths and get our name out there and actually go out there and actively source candidates. So these are some of the ones that are on our radar uh, for the rest of the year. Nice, thank you. Thank you. Um, and then when it comes to executives, uh, the challenge here is that recruitment, traditional recruiting and executive searches are entirely different processes. So when you're recruiting that population, what you're doing is you're going out, you're sourcing active candidates, candidates who are actively seeking new jobs and getting them to apply for the role. Executive recruitment is different. And these executive search firms, they're looking for that match of culture, skills and experience. But most importantly, they're leveraging their internal databases. And some of these are decades old. And they're looking for, and this is critical, passive candidates. So these are candidates who are not actively searching. So we don't have the competition, right? So with executive hiring, it's a very narrow search and it's one that we can even exp expand to be global, right? The additional staff that we have, uh, we did get an executive coordinator uh, who started actually a couple days ago, and we're very excited to have her. Um, Jennifer De La Rosa is going to be helping out with coordinating the interviews. She'll be on site to make sure we preserve that excellent candidate experience through the interview um, and doing all the, um, the coordination that comes along with that, because previously we had the recruiter who was doing that. Um, and then secondly, we are looking at Corn Ferry. We're in Final stages here, uh, global organizational consulting firm. They've got over 25 plus years of experience in executive recruitment. And they have those databases that we can tap into to try to locate the passive candidates. And then lastly, of course, as mentioned, um, there is that new corporate relocation vendor that can really be um, a sweetener, a selling point when we're trying to bring on board executives. Good questions. What's the cost to the organization of the relocation vendor? That, that's a great question. Um, and are you are you looking for the cost uh, from uh, from, that, from us or what's yeah from us or is that built into the uh, the individual contract per recruit? I, I'm just wondering what is the net cost to to us as an org? Lynn, did you want to grab that one? The relocation program is pretty brand new. Um, and I, I felt that because we didn't have a formal program that provided wraparound services, uh, this was a result of hiring a, a chief administrative officer who didn't have a really good uh, move from uh, Colorado over to the West Coast here that we that I felt that we needed to have a new program. 
Now, yeah, it makes speaking sense. With, in speaking with finance, uh, it's not part of our run rate. Um, and we are going through the uh, process of whether or not to present to this to the um, Budget Oversight Committee uh, or the uh, ELT. Uh, the um, So it's budgetary wise, this has to come out of the departmental budget. Uh, the, I think, return on our investment, however, is that we can actually help bring in the talent that we need that might be out of state or might be uh, like in Southern California and to really help them uh, move and assimilate into the high cost area of the Bay Area. Sure, that makes sense. But yeah, I, I just wanted to expand on one point that Lynn made. Lynn talked about the rate, right? And is it, does it make sense why that's relevant to the, to the trustees? Because when we're budgeting, we're not adding anything new that wasn't in our expenses the prior year. And so if you don't have run rate for something, if you don't have the expenses that you've been generating to show in, as we're moving in the new budget year, you can't add to the budget. And yeah, so if we don't have run rate for something, that you didn't can't add it to the, yeah. the next budget. And so that's what we're trying to establish. Um, and so that's why it would have to go either to ELT or, or you know, to the work committee perhaps to get a variance on needing to have that run. Yeah, that's correct. It's not so, like the private sector where, you know, you can have a general fund um, uh, and, you know, you can have a very prescriptive uh, relocation program along with, you know, if you uh, don't fulfill your obligations as a recipient of that, there's clawbacks within those agreements. Uh, but, you know, it's, uh, we're, we're piloting uh, this out. I feel that this is uh, needed if we're going to be looking for the best talent to bring into the organization. Sure, I, I definitely don't make argument for that. I'm just trying to find out what the cost is yeah. and who's absorbing. No, Right, so is the department paying, that's recruiting the person paying for it? And if so, are we talking about $2,000 or are we talking about $50,000? Oh, we're talking upwards, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Justin, it, it can go upwards to is it 20K or 30K? I can't remember. Correct. Yeah, and then there's a array of different services that they can select from, and they are assigned a relocation expert uh, that will help them with this uh, in terms of what that spend will be. And we can actually cap it in terms of uh, the different types of hiring that we're doing. And, and that makes perfect sense. Who would make the decision on that? Uh, this person wants to move all their, I heard you say classic cars, uh, if, we're, if they wanted to move all their classic cars and have that, and is it at the discretion of the hiring manager to determine that they're going to get the total white glove service? Or is that, I'm just, I'm just trying to think about the mechanism of how this works, because this could go from $2,000 to $40,000, and then we're hiring 100 people, and then we get a big variant. So I'm just trying to get it. I have no idea about the scope and scale, and that's just what I'm trying to get on. Yeah, I'm wondering well, if this actually, actually, we, you know, I'd like to present this maybe at the next uh, uh, board meeting. Uh, we are implementing a match cap uh, on the services because, as legal uh, pointed out, you know, words matter. When you say, oh, you have, you know, X number of dollars to uh, to play with, what does that really mean? Especially when you're looking at 
the different um, offerings uh, within this relocation program. So we're making some changes there. So I'd, I'd like you to kind of hold that thought because we are trying to rein that in uh, to make it a little bit more um, prescriptive. Okay. Sure. I have trouble holding thoughts about yeah. budget. Mm -hmm. but, <laughs> yeah, but I know. And, and, I will, and I me too. Yes. <laughs> yes. And usually those, uh, the approvals have gone through me. We haven't had a lot of them. Um, uh, we do have, I think, we've used them for the assistant chief medical officer recently. We did uh, offer it uh, in that uh, uh, recruitment uh, effort. Uh, so these are, are, are not how can I say, um, not being offered uh, to the entire um, organization at this time. We're being very selective right now. Yeah. Does that make you feel more comfortable? Uh, I, I'm at a position where I can, we can go on. Okay, good. <laughs> All right. Thank you. All right. AIP measures. AIP measures. So this is a work in progress and uh, have all of you had the opportunity to review this particular deck? Yes. Yes. Oh, yes. If, yes. If you don't mind, I'd like to go to the um, uh, actual uh, uh, graph that shows all of the payouts, Karen. That, that's the graph. And, and so what I'd like to do is just to let you know, this is a variable pay plan. We haven't rolled it out yet. Um, I have been, um, I committed to James that I would have a, a final draft uh, for him and the ELT by the end of this month. And so getting your perspective during this meeting is very important to me. Uh, I know that there are uh, a lot of questions and probably a lot of different viewpoints uh, with this plan. Pardon me. Um, the performance measures, uh, as you know, should always align with the key organizational objectives. And of course, our pillars are the quality of care, community connection, staff and physician experience, and sustainability. And so as you look at this particular draft, uh, the uh, two triggering gates that would open up this plan uh, is going to be the EBITDA, and also the reduced patient harm. If they don't open up, there is no payout for this incentive plan. It's different than the uh, prior plan that the uh, organization had implemented. I believe that was an incentive plan, correct, Karen? Um, you had to meet your goals and um, you had personal goals and then you had the company goals up here, the system goals. And when the system goals were met, the gates opened, and then you got different amounts based on what other goals you met. Right, but it wasn't a lump sum. It was actually impacted your base pay. Is that correct? No, they were lump sum payments. They were lump sum payments. Yeah, they're lump Thank sum payments. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I do that? Yes, I you did. Okay. Pardon me. That. Okay. Um, and I, I'm strongly recommending, uh, because we've had a lot of conversation about this, that the source of truth. Uh, for these metrics should be the true north metrics. Um, and hearing back from uh, some feedback from a trustee that's not here tonight, uh, she suggested that we also use the safety of culture uh, to um, help us formulate maybe uh, like a library, if you will, that departmental leaders or their leaders 
can choose for the other three um, uh, goals that they would have. So you have two organizational-wide goals, and then you would have three goals that could be set by the department leadership or their leaders. Um, and they should be derived from either the True North metrics or the uh, safety of culture goals. You don't want to over-engineer it. It'll be too unwieldy to manage, I, I believe. And you want to have a clear, I think, um, uh, a clear path in terms of what, what goals can a department leader uh, select? Because they should have some skin in the game and also be, uh, I think, um, trusted to select goals for their departments and for themselves in, in this strategy. Now, hopefully uh, this incentive plan is really meant to motivate the um, employees to stay within the budget, right? So that's the organizational goal and to lower, uh, excuse me, and to reduce patient harm. And that's a quality uh, measure uh, that we should meet in order for this to open up. Now the platform Passport to Performance uh, that was configured differently some years back, as Karen will uh, chime in. Uh, the uh, performance uh, module and the goal module were, I guess, disconnected. And so there's no longer any performance uh, ratings. Uh, and that was due to the fact, I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, to a leniency bias where managers gave favorable ratings and they would just, you know, get the um, incentive um, uh, allocated to them. And so uh, they, they changed that model. Uh, so this is a merit, excuse me, this was a merit-based, no, it wasn't, it was an incentive-based program. So they changed it and they're bifurcated. So we don't have those performance ratings at hand. And I know there was a lot of discussion with the ELT that they would like for that to be brought back. Uh, that's something that we can do, but it would have to be built out. And uh, currently we are in flight of uh, bringing uh, the Kronos uh, time card uh, project uh, to fruition. And we probably will not be done with that until about uh, July, mid-July or end of July. Uh, and then we can start working on that. However, uh, we can launch this uh, once we get it finalized, we can start mapping it out, um, cascading the goals out uh, to the organization, probably in the June timeframe, uh, and along with the communications uh, and uh, the uh, True North metric library, which I want to build out and wrap around the pillars and the safety of cult culture uh, metrics at the organizational uh, wide results. Uh, some of the uh, pitfalls I think we need to be uh, mindful of is, you know, when we're looking at these measures, um, because I think we're all in agreement <laughs> that the organizational wide goals are fine. It's the departmental or the individual goals uh, that we need to be mindful of. Uh, so we need to be very clear with those. Um, and we need to train managers that these incentives when they are not earned that the performance uh, when the uh, when they're not earned the performance of the business does not allow issuance of the incentive awards so that's very key 
So you want to motivate people to really, you know, open up those gates. Um, and we need to make sure that we are have the right funding. I did have a um, just a consult uh, with Grace Messina of Finance, um, and we looked at the costing of, of these programs. Uh, one was to just uh, capture the unrepresented employees, uh, which is not inclusive uh, by any means, but that would be uh, a cost of $3.5 million. To capture everyone in Alameda Health System, it would be about $9.5 million. And that uh, is based on the February employee cons uh, consensus. Um, uh, uh, census. Can I ask a question? Trustee Van. I thought so, I, was, I had. Lynn, I, may I ask a question? I, yes, I had one more thought, but go ahead. Oh, sure, sure. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead and finish your thought. I, I can't remember now. You know how it is. <laughs> they come in and they go out. So um, go ahead. Ask your question. I think I have one question is where you said the system goal is set and then the other goals here, one has to be careful. So right now, our EBITDA margin that we have currently is 8.9. At the last year, we had something in the seven, eight. So why are we going on a trajectory that is taking us below? I know that those were our targets, oh. but uh, 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 at least we should, uh, you know, the current and the projected. So A, some of the estimated or budgeted EBITDA levels were very low. And even with our bridge plan, I think we have a higher EBITDA margin than this that is there. So I think that from the system perspective, uh, maybe that too needs to be thought through. And the second thing is that we do have true, new True North metrics coming up soon, right? Like, so what we want to make sure is that um, that the any system goals that we have specifically related to quality that reflect the current true north metric that is coming up. And because there'll be a very strong, I hope, an equity focus in that, because you could have, you could re reduce harms by 2.5% and find that people of a certain age or a certain race had way worse outcomes. The composite aggregate decreased, but like, so th this literally, has to have some, you know, granularity to it. Uh, and so who, so, yeah, so I, I think like even the system goals are not, I hope that uh, they will be timed with uh, the finance conversations that will happen about EBITDA and then also the new True North metrics. So I hope quality is like, big into the conversations that are happening here. Right, so, you know, the 3.7 or higher EBITDA, the higher your EBITDA, the better your operating uh, margins are, correct? Yes. If you go lower, it, that's not that's not the uh, trajectory you wanna go on, is it's lower. Uh, the 2.5 reduce uh, harm events. There are a lot of subsets uh, of that on the True North metrics depending on your department, I believe, and, you know, the, your service line. Uh, so certainly the, uh, like, departmental manager, like if I'm in EVS, right, if I'm looking at reduce, uh, reducing harm events, 
uh, maybe I'm I'm um, looking at the OR and I want to make sure that the OR is is clean and all of that. Uh, that could be a uh, departmental goal, but I, I'm looking at that from um, a source of truth to make it easier for us to reconcile, right? When we look at these payouts here, um, the threshold would be, well, if you meet the two system goals, at least you get that payout. And these percentages can be changed to uh, trustee managing. We don't have to be uh, wedded to 33%. I've worked with other organizations that maybe at the threshold, that's set at 50%. Um, maybe target might be um, uh, another uh, uh, 80% and maybe max would be 20%. So that schematic can change. When I spoke to finance just um, uh, casually, uh, from their perspective, and this can change with um, uh, the executive leadership uh, conversations uh, at that level, was that it was really critical uh, that if we launched this July 1st, uh, that we would have to meet these, these two goals, especially the EBITDA. Otherwise, there, there couldn't be a payout. So part of the pitfalls that you don't want to have happen is for, you know, you have a... Um, if you, if you meet the goals and then you can't fund it or you can only partially fund it, uh, you lose credibility with that, correct? I mean, I've been in situations like that with other organizations where we've met the goals, but there was no money to fund it. Uh, you would see a mass exodus of uh, leadership that would, would, would go uh, to other health systems. Um, so I think we need to do a little bit more work here and the metrics need to be really clear because uh, my staff, uh, Karen specifically, would have to create a spreadsheet and we would actually have to go into the goal uh, module, I believe, to see what they actually input. I mean, have they have they met the goals either at the threshold, threshold get that target and the max? And then we would have to do that calculation uh, like she has done before with the other plan, and then it would go to pay out. Um, so, uh, Karen, do you have anything you want to add to the narrative here? Am I off course, or do I need to be corrected? I'm doing a Rachel Maddow right now. Have you said any, everything correctly? Yeah, I love that, Heidi. Yeah, I mean, we can put the two system goals, whatever they're going to be, into the system, and we can cascade them down. Um, and then the individual goals people can pick from a library, like you're saying. Um, and then what the process is, is once they've met their goals at the end of the fiscal year, they would put in uh, a comment that they've met their goal. It would go to their leader to approve uh, that they have actually met the goal. And same with setting the goals. The I set my goal and then it goes to my leader because I could make a goal that just says I come to work every day. And then my leader would get that and say, no, go find a new goal. Mm -hmm. And so the leader up front has to approve my goals. Uh, and then likewise, at the end of the fiscal year, they have to approve that I put in the results correctly. Um, and then as Lynn said, we would run through the system and find out how many people met all of their goals. They would get 100% of their uh, eligible pay. Uh, who met, you know, the, the two of their three 
And then who didn't meet their personal goals, they only the system goals. And so then that would adjust the payment amounts. Mm -hmm. um, that That is all correct. Now, the, the one thing we have to work through is that part of our leaders are part of a, a union. Mm -hmm. We have the ACMEA leaders. And so when we costed it out, we said unrepresented employees. So we have to decide if the ACMEA leaders are going to be involved in this goal setting and reap the benefits or if they're excluded. Mm -hmm. uh, right. In the past, we included them. Right. And and yeah. I think that, you know, we all want our employees to be included in this plan. Uh, but uh, I think, you know, with Lorna's leadership, she would have to ne negotiate this uh, with, uh, with the unions. And they would be part of what we call uh, they would be like an individual contributor in this regard for the individual goals. They would be part of a, what we call a group. Uh, so as you see here, the frontline staff I have set here, and, and this can change uh, depending on what um, uh, the ELT would recommend of $1,200. Um, so that would be the payout. If they met the two goals, the, um, the gates, they would get the $1,200 automatically. So that would not hold uh, the, um, uh, what I would call like a, a team award or union team award uh, in, in, that, uh, in that regard. So I saw uh, Lorna's hand and I believe I saw, I saw Marilyn's as well. So Lorna, okay. go ahead and then Marilyn. I was just to clarify, I wanted the, the trustees to know that um, we originally started working on this in July of last year. So closely, um, you know, after the um, our strategic plan was um, put into place and was being still, you know, finalized and synthesized. And so um, and then it went to like a small subset of ELT and it's had many iterations since then. Um, so it is a work in progress. Very happy to hear that, you know, the input that we're getting um, and and really would like to talk more about that, about using um, an equity lens and how we would go about not only capturing that, but being able to track it and to put it in um, form of a goal for the plan. Yeah, great. Um, yeah, I think it does. It, it will require some more discussion. Um, Marilyn, go ahead. Actually, it's very similar to what Lorna was just um, talking about. Um, my experience with, you know, AIP goals um, so that there is equity has been that for the most part, they've been tied to system goals or to a system dashboard where you're really trying to drive, you know, results across the entire system. For instance, patient experience, uh, employee experience of work, um, certainly your EBITDA, you know, is tied to quality results, those type of things. And it's the same for everyone. And so when it's done that way, then there is equity and it's not people choosing, you know, goals and you having to go into their individual goals to see what it is. It's driven across the system. Right. Thank you, Marilyn. I now I forgot what I want to say. So there's different reiterations that you can do with this AIP plan. It could all be system driven. And I know when I talk to Grace. Uh, her time at Kaiser, which, you know, I haven't been there for like, since 2004, but when she was there, it was all system goals. And so it was the same for everybody across the board. And that makes it a lot easier uh, to calibrate and to track. Uh, and if we did it that way and, and, and dispensed with the 
individual goals. We could cascade five um, um, organizational goals according to our pillars, uh, as I mentioned, and then we can calibrate at least on a quarterly uh, basis uh, and uh, you know motivate uh, the organization to go in this direction uh, when it was required. Yeah, uh, Lynn, that was my experience as well with both Kaiser and Sutter. And yeah. the individual goals were tied to um, merit increases, annual merit increases, um, you know, as far as the, the base salary. But the AIP was definitely to drive organizational um, goals. Mm -hmm. And I really kind of like the uh, thought of having five organizational goals. Uh, and doing it that way, it would simplify everything. Um, because as Lorna said, you know, our systems and our, we have stacked systems uh, and it makes it very uh, uh, laborious uh, to try to piece everything together. So, and we could do this, I think in, in short order, in terms of if we had five goals, we could push those out. Yeah. my. Uh... Go ahead. I, I think uh, if we are talking equity, it just that if we have the same goals for a system-wide, mm -hmm. it just seems that for the frontline folks who are kind of doing a lot of the work, you know, actually making sure that hand washing and clapsy and county and all of that, like they see a pretty lean, um, you know, incentive over there, like the differential. And then... Um, Ten for our for our executives who are getting ten percent of base pay. That is a huge chunk, and some of it, like system goals, are important. But some of them are like they've had their culture of safety scores. They've had an action plan about what to do for their own units, for their own things. And so maybe, uh, like, if you there is a there is a. a a rationale for standardizing and then there's an equity rationale in which like each context is unique and so we have to we have to hold ourselves accountable to kind of clean our own houses and to build like our spheres of influence and do that and so it has to be a little stretch over here i i just feel like there has to be a strong equity impact analysis over here in the past uh, that how are we distributing this in a way that does not, that, not. They, that, they, that there is not an inequity in the folks who are on this, on this spectrum making the least amount of money yeah. are also, uh, the, the folks who are mm -hmm. getting, making the most amount of money are getting the most bonuses and the ones who are do, having the least amount also, not just in terms of percentage, not just cumulatively, but also as percentages are uh -huh. made. So just, I, I'm going to put it out there because like that is not hopefully, you know, we, we are a public organization. We use public funds over here. It's different from a Kaiser, very different. So please like the optics of it, the value system that is underpinning it, a very, very strong equity focus has to be and who is deciding this because sometimes if the people who are making the decision about yes, no of the frontline or supervisors 
uh, like, uh, is there a represent, you know, uh, a proper representation of decision-making sample over here that is also doing that? So that is all your HR folks. We can only ask the questions and then you all do this work and you have the best options to de-bias your decision-making process, to de-bias uh, de the guiding principles in this so that, you know, different people are not benefiting and burdened in very differential way for similar set uh, system goals. And I'll stop there. Well, you know, I, I think you raise a very good point. Um, I, I will tell you that this plan is not even competitive out in the real world. Uh, so uh, with, with that said, this is only a draft. Uh, we can change the parameters of the uh, percentage amounts or whatever. Uh, but the, the other factor that I need to be wary of or cognizant of uh, is also executive retention too. Uh, because they are, are helping to lead the organization, right, uh, to excellence. And so if you look at our leapfrog uh, scores and HCAPs and so on and so forth, uh, you really want to help motivate the employee population uh, to, um, I think, do better because we can do better. I think we'd all, all agree to that. But your point is well taken. Interesting to that. Yeah, I'll, I'll try to be short, which I sometimes am, sometimes not. I think uh, the board set helps set the direction with the organization by setting true north metrics. And that's the, an exercise we go through on an annualized basis, which we're about to do again. And I think this is an opportunity for us to reinvest. You know, I chair the quality committee. We're entering Q4. We're, about, we're probably only going to hit two of our 11 targets of quality this year. And I think that that, that, that says something. And I think this is a great opportunity um, with allowing flexibility and kind of attention to the varying change of the quality. You know, for example, I'm making this up. Maybe one of the metrics should be to hit greater than 50% of quality metrics. And it doesn't really matter what the quality metrics are because the board's going to set what they are. And I actually like that because it makes people go after all of them instead of just three or four of them. Yeah. And, and maybe we could do that for finance. So I think there's great opportunity in we also know that you know maybe that exists differently at the C-suite than it does at uh, frontline, soup, manager, and directors. But we do know that each true north metric has a roll-up set of data, which feeds it, and maybe you know cascading down along that, so it's all aligned. Yes. And then then it becomes easier for the uh, for HR to decide the incentives. They don't have to list the incentives; they just have to say hit fifty percent or greater than fifty percent. Just yeah, an idea. We just need the, the data to be there, yeah. right? And, and we, we do have the data. Calibrate. We need yeah. to be able to calibrate that uh, on a frequent basis. Uh, and that's what's great about the True North metrics. Monthly. Monthly. Yeah. We hammer ourselves on those True North metrics. Okay. So the engine is already there. You just gave us an HR dashboard, right? Yeah. So that data is already rolling in. So the infrastructure for that data acquisition is already in place. And it makes it, in my opinion, a little bit easier. And then um, last point, yeah, I am going talking head here. Uh, 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 there is an Israeli behavioral economist, uh, economist named uh, Dr. Spuzi. And uh, I was listening to one of his podcasts the other day and he talked about, it was on incentives. And, and he, 
he says, you know, make sure that the incentives don't have unintended consequences. That's something for us to think about. Some organizations he studied actually give the bonus at the top of the year for what is to be projected and, and actually takes money back oh. if, if, if they don't hit the bonus. And they, they, they've been, oh. you know, the Nobel Prize has been given out for behavioral economics on a number oh. of times. But the rationale here is that yeah. loss aversion is such a stronger motivator than otherwise. It's an interesting, it, that would be a very forward thinking concept, but something to think about. Yeah, that might give you a headache in HR, but think about what we're trying to achieve. You know, you know, uh, you know so uh, people often elected in these studies to actually take the money up front because then they like gambled on themselves. Your people are gambling on themselves that they're gonna hit it. Because I think our people are going to hit it, you know. So <clears throat> I think that would be something interesting. And now I'll shut up. Yeah, I think that that's would be a very interesting, interesting point of view because clawing that back, I think, would fall under various uh, regulations. We would have to have an agreement and all that stuff. But yeah. that's a very interesting uh, way to do an incentive plan. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you very much, Linda, for the information. I did hear Lorna say several minutes ago that it was a work in progress. I also heard you say that there are changes that could be made and this was a draft. So I think we'll continue talking about it and we appreciate you um, bringing it forward to us. Yeah, the framework is great. The framework is really good. Okay, well, I, it is due to uh, my boss's boss at the end of this month. So uh, we'll take in your perspectives and opinions and uh, come up with the final uh, product. Okay. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Lorna, you're on for the um, CHRO report. Do you want me to stop sharing this and you move to yours? Yes, please. I'm sorry. There we go. Can everybody see? Yes. Perfect. So here is my agenda. I'm going to do a really brief um, bargaining update. And um, every time I share my slides, you will see that I have a description coming in at the bottom and no one can figure out how to turn it off. So for those who are hearing impaired, this will be very um, easy for you to follow. Um, so SEIU-UHW um, negotiations have completed. Many of you know that by now. Um, and the contract was ratified and it will be in effect until 1231-26. SCIU AHMG is still underway. Um, ILW Local 6 was TA just yesterday, so fresh off the presses. Um, we do have a TA and we anticipate that um, they will have a ratification vote in the next 10 days. Sir. We're meeting with SIR on a twice weekly basis um, and we're making progress. We hope to get to um, you know, completion by the in the next month. We think that we have some um, really good proposals that will go across the table at the next session. So let me stop there. Did anybody have any questions? No? Future bargaining. So we are going to open up um, both CNA contracts early and we're anticipating opening them up um, either in June or July, depending on people's availability. Um, we, ha we have let um, CNA know that we have an interest in um, 
coordinating both contracts and making them into one for the obvious reasons, cross coverage, floating. Um, I will say CNA has been extremely um, good to AHS in the past two years since I've gotten here. They've allowed us to float staff um, in emergencies. And I think they see the viability of allowing us to do this permanently. Um, so we're very excited about opening that contract. Um, likewise, we have a UAPD reopener. Um, either party, either the union or management can open that contract um, in the summer. And um, UAPD has already expressed to me that they're going to reopen the contract. Any questions? Um, just one question about the UAPD reopener. Did they say what what the reopeners were going to be about, or are they just opening the whole contract? No, it's their economic reopeners for health and welfare and across the board increases, so pay. I see. Okay. So I have some really nice things to share with you. Um, National Volunteer Appreciation Week, um, April 16th through the 22nd. We have several events that are planned um, starting with tomorrow. Um, we have the San Leandro Hospital Auxiliary, Auxiliary Appreciation Luncheon. Um, and then we have a volunteer appreciation celebration at Highland in the courtyard on Friday. And this is a beautiful little testament to our longstanding volunteers. Um, uh, Gloria has been here for over 50 years and she's <laughs> been volunteering for um, that full time um, at Fairmont in San Leandro. And so there's a special celebration that's gonna be happening for her tomorrow at Horatio's. And as you can see, she's raised over $500,000. I know that's really exciting. Um, and so um, I think she's finally, um, you know, going to hand in her volunteer badge and call it a day, but we're very pleased to be honoring her tomorrow. That's awesome. Amazing. Here's some fun facts. I think I shared these at the last um, HR board meeting, but just some more facts um, about some of our volunteers, as you know, I had said in the prior board meeting, most of our volunteers, our demographics have changed. Instead of having a huge contingency of retirees, post pandemic, we have a lot of young people. Um, and so as you can see, some of our volunteers, um, where they're going to school, um, they've been accepted at these uh, you know, fine universities. Um, we also have several um, 2022 DAISY Reward recipients who were former AHS volunteers. Um, and are now AHS employees. Um, we are actually working on a project between Health Path and volunteers to bring back for the group um, a fun little um, uh, fact sheet with all the different individuals over the last 25 years who started either as volunteers or in our Health Path program who currently work here because believe it or not, there's dozens of them um, throughout the hospital system. In fact, I can, I can personally speak to two that started as Health Path interns in HR and we hired both. One went on to nursing school. She stayed for two years in the labor department post Health Path interning um, and then went to nursing school. And we currently have um, a UC Berkeley graduate who's working in HR who now has um, told us that she wants to be an HR business partner. So we're very excited about that. Very so nice. Good. And so, um, 
A few weeks ago during um, the Easter holiday week, we had our uh, Young Men of Color Spring Break cohort um, and they were on site at Highland. Um, they learned about experiences of health professionals of color. Um, they developed hands-on skills. They went to the SIM lab. Um, they also participated in clinician-led workshops. Each student got a $250 stipend um, and it was a five-day program and it was very well received by the by the participants. And I don't know how many of you had opportunity to meet with any of them, but they were delightful. That's great. Here's some pictures. So good. So now just kind of, this is um, something that I had been, um, you know, talked about at prior meetings and with several of you and thought would give you an overview. As you know, we have a very difficult time retaining and hiring nurses and physicians, as well as executives. And so um, I brought you this presentation here today. Um, we are, our compensation philosophy, which is not a policy, but just a philosophy at AHS is to pay at 50 percentile of median. Um, and the, the market, the healthcare market, and this includes both public sector and private sector, because we do include private sector because those are our competition, right? Um, most of the healthcare systems in the West Coast have an incentive bonus structure that's between 25 and 35% of base salary. As Lynn you know, demonstrated earlier, um, the, A, the AIP plan was created back in 2019 um, the initial um, plan did not pay out to the executives. I think there was a very small nominal amount that went to some of um, the management staff or non-executive staff. Um, the plan was revamped back in 2021 to include a 10% base of, uh, or 10% potential of uh, a, an executive's base salary. In September, 20, September 2022 is when it was first paid out. Some of the benefits that we offer our executives are very similar to the benefits we, we offer to um, our physician staff. Um, employer paid life insurance up to 500,000, um, paid long-term disability up to 1250 a month, uh, a monthly mileage allowance of $300, um, a long-term care program that has a $1,500 a month benefit. Um, our executives also can participate in one of our two um, retirement plans. Um, and, and these are our, um, our plans that um, define benefit plans, excuse me. As well as um, we do offer to um, our C-suite, which is not, it's a subset of our C-suite, not all of them, a housing stipend. And the housing stipend um, was modified in 2022 from 150,000 to 165,000. Now the plan has been in existence for over a decade. It has had small deviations over the years, but in totality, the program has been in place pretty similar uh, for the same for over a decade. So um, it was for purchase of a home or for um, you know for purchase of a home or for having a home and it's repayable over a three-year period 
Um, it's a forgivable three-year period and um, at 33% each year. Any questions? I don't see any. Okay. Well, that's all I had for you. Oh, great. Okay, any questions? Did I miss seeing anyone's hands? We were looking at the screen. So do we have any questions on that? No. All right, we have our uh, trustees comments. Thank you, Lorna, thank you for the presentation. Any comments from any of our trustees? James, I'm in, any comments? Lorna, anybody? Actually, I, I do have a comment. I think I heard Trustee Banerjee whisper it before. Have we decided on HR's true north metrics for the, did I miss that part for the next fiscal year? No. Okay. We haven't did, decided. Did, didn't you say that? Would you whisper it? Yeah, I think when uh, Lynn, you said that the plan, your boss is expecting the plan by the end of this month. We were uh, we were just saying that um, the, uh, the, the true north metrics or the system goals might not be ready by that time. So maybe oh, I you see. Know, you get yeah. time that the, sure. the true north metrics will be by June. Yes, ma'am. So Madam Chair, so how would we do that? So what, what's our next HR committee? It is July. July. It's July, July. Early July. So, yeah. so we're in the new fiscal. So we 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 historically have approved in June. So Madam Chair, how Madam Chairs, how uh -huh. do we do that? Can we well, we can I guess what we can do is like because we really need to get this launched, right? Yeah. At least at the beginning of the year, we can at least maybe try to put some um finality within the plan and if if the organization at the executive level wants to go with this uh, five organizational wide goal which would create some equity for everyone um i we can hold off on that i i think that's doable karen you don't you think yep. yeah so we can wait until like june when the uh, when july so july, july. So and unless you want to have a special meeting, I know that I've worked with board before and we've had a special meeting. We can call a special meeting if necessary, Chair. Yeah, if we need to, we can call a special meeting. Go ahead, Lorna. I just wanted to bring up that um, last year when um, the, the new metrics were being developed, I worked with Dr. Gupta and others and came to some of their planning sessions. And so um, you know, we can also do that. Um, so I was involved, you know, in that process, Dr. Tornabene, Dr. Gupta. And so I'd be happy to be involved in any capacity. Council, sir, could, could uh, a set of metrics come up for vote at the board, at the, at the full board meeting in June without coming through this committee? Yeah. Okay. okay. So our chair could agendize yeah. that without us having that special meeting and then perhaps the, the, the board chair or the or the HR chair could be in concert with mm -hmm. our HR committee. Yeah. yeah. We, we may actually have a problem if we do do it in a special meeting because it touches upon executive wellness. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. We so full board So maybe we could actually meet with the HR team yes. and work on whatever it is that we have concern about. Yeah. And I think, Lorna, your idea of like uh, being in 
uh, talks with the quality and CMO and quality folks would be good because then as it's emerging, it'll become clearer to you like what might be something that would resonate on the HR level. Most yeah. definitely. Okay. Uh, thank you. So any other comments? Not, not seeing any hands raised with that. I think we will adjourn at 635. Thank you. Thank you guys for coming. Thank you for participating and have a good evening. You too. Thank you all. Thank you everybody. Madam Chair, you were in a tight meeting. My goodness. Yes, wow. great.